Eureka by John Thomas, Volume 1 Chapter 1, Section 1, Part 6 Apocalypse Rooted in the Prophets The Apocalypse in Amos Amos, who was contemporary with Isaiah, adds his testimony to a like effect. He says that Yahweh will roar from Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, but that he will do nothing without first revealing it unto his servants the prophets. He predicted that the ten tribes of Israel should be carried into captivity beyond Damascus, that there should come a famine of hearing the words of Yahweh, and that Israel should run to and fro to seek the word, but should not find it, as it has come to pass for the past 1800 years. He foretold the desolation of the kingdom in all its elements, but also that Yahweh will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, but that he would sift them among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet that not one good seed should fall to the earth to rise no more. For that when the indignation shall be completed, Yahweh will raise up the dwelling place of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. He will raise up David's ruins, and build the kingdom as in the days of old, that they who shall inherit it may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the nations, when Yahweh's name shall be proclaimed to them. Then Israel shall be planted upon their land, and rooted up no more from thence, saith Yahweh Elohim, who hath given it to them, and not to the Gentiles. Chapter 1 verse 2, chapter 3 verse 7, chapter 5 verse 27, chapter 9 verses 8 and 11 to 15. The Apocalypse in Obadiah Edom, in the prophecies concerning the restoration of Israel's kingdom in the latter days, is representative of the enemies of Jacob, banded together under the guardianship of Gog, who is then the chief of the house of Esau. Obadiah had a vision of this confederacy, occupying a similar relationship to Israel hereafter, that Edom did in the typical times of the prophet. Obadiah has placed on record the sentence that every one of the Mount of Esau shall be cut off by slaughter forever, and shame shall cover them because of their violence against Jacob. That as Edom had drunk upon Yahweh's holy mountain, where also they revel to this day, so shall all the nations drink, and they shall be as though they had not been, for that upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, or as Paul styles it, a fire of flame, in Second Thessalonians 1 verse 8 and the house of Esau for stubble, 
and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. And that at the time appointed for this, deliverers shall come up in Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom thus obtained shall be Yahweh's. Verses 9, 10, 16 to 18, and 21. The Apocalypse in Micah. Micah was contemporary with the times of Amos and Isaiah. He opens his prophecy apocalyptically by saying, Behold, Yahweh cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. He predicted that because of the iniquity of the Israelites and their rulers, Zion should be ploughed as a field, and Jerusalem should become heaps, and the mountain on which the temple stood as the high places of the forest. But he goes on to say that Zion, Moriah, and Jerusalem, although thus trodden underfoot of destroyers, should not always be abased. He coincides with Isaiah, and testifies in the same words that in the latter days yet future, the kingdom of Yahweh, which he terms the mountain of the house of Yahweh, shall have the sovereignty over the empires and kingdoms of the earth, and that all nations shall concenter around its throne, that Yahweh, the Elohim of Jacob, will enlighten or apocalypse them, and that they will in consequence walk in his ways, that a law and a word will be promulgated from Zion and Jerusalem, and be universally obeyed, that war will then be abolished, peace be established as the order of the day, and goodwill everywhere prevail. He further testifies that Israel shall then be a strong nation, with Yahweh, Christ, reigning over them in Mount Zion from thenceforth and for the Olam, or millennium. The first dominion shall come to Zion, and the kingdom to the daughter of Jerusalem. But he also testifies that before this exaltation to dominion, Zion's daughter should dwell in Babylon, in the ten streets of which she is a wanderer to this day, that in Babylon she shall be delivered. In Babylon Yahweh shall redeem her from the hand or power of her enemies, the Gentiles. He testifies that when the time of this deliverance shall arrive, the daughter of Zion, which is constituted of the twelve tribes of Israel and the saints, shall arise and thresh with horn of iron and hoof of brass, and beat in pieces many people, whose spoil shall be consecrated to Yahweh, the judge of Israel, and the Adon, or sovereign ruler, of the whole earth, who in the days of his humanity should be smitten with a rod upon the cheek by the rebellious. Israel had foretold that the judge of Israel, 
should come of the house of David. Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. And Micah predicted he should be born in Bethlehem Ephrata. But because of the unworthy treatment he should experience at their hands, he should abandon the nation to its calamities until the time of Zion's travail, when he shall be apocalypsed as a thief in the night, and then the remnant of his brethren shall return on account of the children of Israel. He goes on furthermore to say that in this day of apocalypse, the judge of Israel shall stand and rule in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his Eloah, that Israel shall then abide, or dwell safely, in the Holy Land, because their divine king shall be great to the ends of the earth, that when he is apocalypsed in the day of Zion's travail, writhing in pain under Gentile oppression, the Bethlehem-born judge of Israel shall be the nation's peace, because he and his brethren princes shall expel the Assyrian from Judea, and, carrying the war into the land of Nimrod, shall reduce the enemy to the necessity of suing for peace, which will be granted with the loss of dominion and independence. That the remnant of Jacob in more distant nations of the earth shall be as a lion among the beasts of the field, as a young lion among a flock of sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. But though Israel is to do valiantly in the latter days, he showed that they should previously suffer much because of iniquity, transgression, and sin, that they would be not only nationally corrupt, but socially treacherous and cruel, so that a man's enemies would be those of his own house, that, though they should cause the fall of one, he should rise again, and though they should cause him to sit in the darkness of death, Yahweh shall become to him a light, that after this cruel treachery, Jerusalem, his enemy, should be covered with shame, and trodden down as mire in the streets, and that when the day of her rebuilding should arrive, the decree authorising it should come from afar. Micah, perceiving that there was hope in Israel's end, petitions Yahweh in their behalf. He prays that they may be fed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. His supplication is heard, and he is informed by Yahweh that their exodus from Babylon should be after the type and duration of that from Egypt into Canaan, that in this exodus from Babylon the nations shall be confounded when they shall behold the prowess of the Jews, that they shall lick the dust like a serpent and be afraid of Yahweh our Elohim, Christ for he will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the nations, such as they have not heard. But concerning Israel, the prophet testifies 
that the conqueror of the nations will pass by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, that he will have compassion on them, that he will subdue their iniquities, and cast all their sins into the depth of the sea, that he will perform the truth to Jacob, the mercy to Abraham, which he has sworn to Israel's fathers from the days of old. Chapter 1 verse 3, chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, chapter 3 verse 12, chapter 4 verses 1 to 4, 7, 8, 10 and 13, chapter 5 verses 1 to 8 and 15, chapter 7 verses 6, 8, 10, 11 and 14 to 20. The Apocalypse in Nahum Nahum saw Israel oppressed by Nineveh, and predicted its overthrow, because its monarch was wicked, and imagined evil against Yahweh. But Israel's deliverance from the Assyrian by the fall of Nineveh was only the type of a greater deliverance at the apocalypse of Messiah. The prophet, therefore, looking forward to this, concerning which Micah's testimony is already before the reader, says, Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feasts, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. Chapter 1, verse 15. This must be future, because the wicked are not yet cut off, but are in possession of the Holy Land. The Apocalypse in Habakkuk Now while Nahum looked at the latter-day deliverance of Israel through the fall of Nineveh, Habakkuk contemplated the same consummation through the typical fall of Nebuchadnezzar's dynasty. He saw Babylon in the plentitude of its power. Success would intoxicate the golden head, whose spirit would change, and he would transgress and offend by imputing his power to his own strength. And while Babylon triumphed, he saw that Israel and the nations were enclosed in its net, being subjected thereby to spoliation and great distress. He was desirous to know what all this would result in. He therefore besought Yahweh to reveal to him what the end would be. His petition was granted, and the consummation was represented to him in a vision, which is to speak at the end. He saw in that epoch, which is termed the day of trouble, a chief of nations, proud, covetous, rapacious, and impious as Belshazzar, who will not confine himself to his own territories, but will enlarge his desire as the grave, and will be as death, which cannot be satisfied, but will gather to his throne all nations, and laden himself with all people, as with thick clay. He saw this power, in vision, execrated in its time, as the spoiler of the nations, and the violator of the land of Israel 
Jerusalem and its inhabitants. This is the Gog of Ezekiel, the Assyrian of Isaiah and Micah, the king of the north of Daniel, the lawless one of Paul, and the dragon of Apocalypse 20. Habakkuk saw that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. But he also saw that this could not be the character of the times until this clay power should be removed out of the way. It was accordingly shown to him that the power should be broken by certain who would rise up suddenly and awake, and that the sleepers who shall awake to life and stand upon their feet for action shall bite and vex and spoil him. These are the saints he saw in vision, in whose midst is the stone of the wall, which shall cry out against him. After the prophet had seen the vision and heard the speech accompanying it, in his hymn to Yahweh he recounts the glorious apocalypse he beheld. He saw Israel in extremity, and the thick clay power in Egypt in all the confidence of victory. But the stone out of the wall makes proclamation against him, which results only in stirring him up to fury, and the prophet sees his hosts in tempestuous motion, coming out as a whirlwind to scatter me, and rejoicing in the prospect of devouring the poor in the lurking place. The tents of Cushan and Midian, in this day of Midian, Isaiah 9 verse 4, overspread the wilderness of Mount Paran, the country of Teman, situated between Palestine and Egypt, south of the Mediterranean, and between the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Aqaba, or Ilath, north of Mount Sinai. The Mistah, or lurking place, of Judah's lion, the place of his encampment in the vision, is the region of Edom and Moab, running down to the Gulf of Elath. After the type of the exodus from Egypt, Yahweh will rise up from Seir, and shine forth from Mount Paran, Isaiah 16 verses 3 and 4, Daniel 11 verse 41, Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, and Habakkuk 3 verse 3. This arrangement places the Gulf of Elath, the tongue of the Egyptian sea, Isaiah 11 verse 15, the Elenitic Gulf of the Red Sea, in other words, between the Gogian army of Egypt and, as the Egyptian forces imagine, the feeble and dispirited outcasts of Moab. But they know not that with these outcasts is the antitypical Joshua, the prophet like unto Moses, and the antitypical Gideon, with the sword of Yahweh and his chosen band as represented in Apocalypse 19 verse 14 and 17 verse 14. 
if the reader keep these geographical relations before his mind, he will discern what Habakkuk testifies in saying, Thou didst march thine horses into the sea through a heap of great waters. Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thy horses, thy chariots of salvation? No, the prophet saw that the wrath was against the tents of Cushan, and the curtains of the land of Midian, which when they came to see the waters open away into their encampments for their enemies' cavalry, trembled in dismay. Brightness as the light burst forth upon them, beams of light from his hand, the hiding place of his power. The prophet saw him march on in indignation, and thresh the heathen in anger. The conqueror's feet were like hind's feet. He overtook the flying enemy, and cut them in pieces with his troops. Israel in Egypt had cried unto Yahweh because of the oppressors, and he sent them a saviour, even a great one, whom Habakkuk beholds from his watchtower. Thou wentest forth, says he, for the salvation of thy people, for salvation with thy Christ anointed, thou woundest the head of the house of the wicked. Thus Yahweh becomes known to Egypt, and his outcasts in the land of Egypt are redeemed, and the way opened for them to return to the land of promise. The land of Judah now becomes a terror to the land of Egypt, and is terribly smitten from thence, so that every Egyptian that maketh mention thereof shall tremble because of the counsel of Yahweh of armies, which he determines against it. His counsel is this, I will bring Israel again out of the land of Egypt, and gather them out of Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and room shall not be found for them. And he shall pass through the sea in adversity, and he shall smite the waves in the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up, and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the sceptre of Egypt shall depart away. Zechariah 10 verses 10 and 11 but though Yahweh Elohim shall thus smite Egypt, he will afterwards heal it. His conquests, however, and its terrible accompaniments will never be forgotten. For in that day five cities in the land of Egypt shall speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to Yahweh of armies. City of the Destruction shall one be called. In that day there shall be an altar to Yahweh in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar in the border thereof to Yahweh, and it shall be for a sign and for a witness to Yahweh of armies in the land of Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know Yahweh in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall promise a votive offering to Yahweh, and perform, and they shall turn to Yahweh, 
and he shall be entreated of them, and shall heal them. In that day there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom Yahweh of armies shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. Isaiah 19, verses 17 to 25. After the conquest of Egypt, then, Habakkuk, whose position may be supposed to be Jerusalem, sees, in the vision of the end, Eloah coming out of Teman, and the Holy One, or Christ, from Mount Paran. He has now taken away the dominion of the lion and the bear from India to Ethiopia, and possesses for his own Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. His glory covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. In making these conquests, and those which remain, in relation to the leopard and the fourth beast of Daniel, the pestilence goes from before him, and a flame from his feet. What follows is very grand. Viewing the work of conquest to be done, the prophet says, He stood and surveyed the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the mountains of antiquity, or empires, were scattered. The perpetual hills, or ancient kingdoms, did bow. The ways of antiquity are for him. That is, the kingdoms and empires existing in the hour of the end are for Yahweh's Christ. These mountains saw him and trembled, the overflowing of the water, their military inundation, passed by, the deep uttered his voice, the roaring of the bottomless pit of nations. But he, after the type of Joshua, commanded the sun and the moon to stand still in their habitation, and his arrows went in the light, and his glittering spear in the shining, Judah his bow, and Ephraim his arrow, arrest the sun and moon of the Gentile heavens, and go in the light thereof.